Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens. My Time Capsule is the podcast where I talk to various people about the five things from their life that they would choose to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they love, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to get rid of. Something they find embarrassing or painful to remember. Something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the wonderful actor Richard Hope, who came to prominence playing the doltish junior officer Hooper alongside Jeremy Irons in Brideshead Revisited, but is probably best known for playing Harris Pascoe in the long-running TV drama Poldark. He's appeared in dozens of films and been in a ridiculous number of TV shows, including Laurence Olivier Presents, his first TV show, which he talks about in this podcast, Victoria Wood, two series of Happy Families, The Bill, Boone, Peak Practice, Casualty, two series of The Demon Headmaster, Midsummer Murders, of course, several times, in fact, Judge John Deed, The Forsyth Saga, Holby City, Foyle's War, Murder City, Heartbeat, New Tricks, Silent Witness, Poirot, Doctor Who, Unforgotten, The Ipcrest File and Gentleman Jack, to name but a few. As he says himself in this podcast, he's played quite a few policemen. He is a prolific stage actor, having appeared at the RSC, the National, Birmingham Rep, the West Yorkshire Playhouse, the Shaw Theatre, the Half Moon, the Almeida, the Gate, the Ambassador, the Aldwych, the Haymarket, the Fortune and the Duchess in the West End, as well as being a member of Complicité, Shared Experience, Belt and Braces and Ken Campbell's Company. Richard is one of those actors that everybody wants in their company. And I'm sure when you've listened to this lovely, funny, kind man talking about his life, you'll understand why. Here is the gorgeous Richard Hope. Looking forward to hearing what you pick, actually, because I knew your career, but I did that thing of Googling it this morning and then went, oh, oh my, my God, I'd, I'd forgotten that. 
Pravda, for example. Yep. I think I'm one of those actors that sort of um, character actor, and now an older character actor. Um, <laughs> Pravda was a big break because I started at Bill Smiley. I joined Richard Eyre, David Hare's group at the National. Brilliant. Uh, they had sort of they had three companies. There was um, Richard Eyre, David Hare, Peter Hall, and Ian McKellen, Edward Petherbridge. Mm. And you were all meant to do one big part, a medium part, and a small part, and three plays running at the same time. Yeah. It worked in our company, so people got a big part, a medium part, and a small part. But, of course, in Ian's company, <laughs> he got a big part, a big part, and a big part. Yes. So <laughs> P- Peter Hall decided this won't carry on. Ian explained it by saying, well, it, it was a big performance, a medium performance, and a small performance. <laughs> I think there was something in that. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Yes. Anyway, I, that was a wonderful time, and I... But I did take, I I was in um, Pravda playing Bill Smiley, and then it was revived twice more. And I took over from Bill Nye. So this is the sort of actor I am. Um, (laughs) You take it over and improve it. I don't know. I I had some different ideas for the way that Bill did it. He was a fantastic actor, and I'd worked with him with Ken Campbell. So um, anyway, uh, it came to the Friday. We went to start rehearsals on the Monday, and I was still cast as Bill Smiley. And I said, look, can I not play Eaton Sylvester? And uh, David Hare said, no, I'm looking for somebody who could do epic acting. <laughs> and I said, look, can I come upstairs and just sort of audition for you? He said, oh, God, all right then. Come upstairs, <laughs> do your Australian accent, because you're an Australian. Yeah. Um, anyway, I went upstairs, met Richard and David. I got into the second sentence. He said, oh, it's all right, you can do it. Start on Monday. So, wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, that, Hopkins have played that. Anthony Hopkins have played that part, yes. didn't he? Yeah, and I carried on with him for another year playing his sidekick. I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, fantastic Brilliant. working with him. Peter Chelsom took over, and Phoebe Nichols took over from Kate Buffery. Mm. There were some cast changes, but not many. Uh, I think Harriet Thorpe and myself were the two people who stayed on, and Harriet's a fantastic... She's sort of the same person. She's still working... A fantastic person who's always there, always doing stuff. Yeah. And I think if I could do what she does, carry on making a living and that sort of thing, doing good work, and that was my, my the way I wanted it. Well, you've done it. Well. You may think, well, not quite yet. I've got another 20 years ago, Mike. Yeah, I'm still going to carry I'm not going to give up and stop. No. I, it's quite interesting because now you can put more back. There are other problems, like making sure you've got the lines right, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. But I don't worry about things um, in rehearsals. I intentionally go wrong sometimes just to see what happens. And, and it does frighten some directors because they go, oh, my God. But, say, in companies with Mike Alfreds, who does a book different every night, and I work with him at The Globe, mm. he wouldn't let you do the same thing. Ah. And then um, Complicité, I worked with them for a bit, and that was complicated theatre for a lot of people. <laughs> yes. uh, and when we were at The National, we did the visit there. They couldn't cope. Because you know, we literally changed things the day before we opened. Um, <laughs> and Ray Smith, who was the designer on it, fantastic. We all had to go off to Oxfam, buy a bag of clothes, bring them in, uh, select a costume. <laughs> we all thought, what on earth's going to happen now? And what Ray did was paint, she, everybody had some shoes. And overnight, she painted all our shoes yellow. So we all looked as though we were from Gulen, <laughs> which was um, a shithole. It's in, the, in the play, in the yeah. play, it's called Shit. And she took all the other clothes... And sort of, I don't know what she puts on, but made the uh, a freeze at the back. Fantastic. Amazing. And yes, yeah, so it, it was a very dangerous group of people to be with. But I, that, I love that sort of theatre. 
Yeah. You know. That runs right through your career. You can see that again and again. Well, at, at that time, and then now people say, oh, you work with concussed theatre. You've done a lot of physical theatre. I had no idea what physical theatre was. <laughs> um, I had no idea. And Simon would say, we'll, we'll just do a, do a meme. I said, what, what do you mean a meme? Well, mime. Yeah, I said, well, was that Marcel, Marcel? No, 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 no. Just do your mime of a butterfly or something. Or I know we, when we did Street of Crocodiles, we had to mime. Do a meme of, of birds or books flying in the air. Mm. I just made it up, <laughs> and, 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 and that's what I really like. And that's ex- that's what I'm trying to I try and pass on. That whatever you do, if you pitch it, it works. Mm. I mean, I don't know about you how you started out, but I I was a student wanting to do the right thing by my parents, and I did law. Ah, we started out exactly the same way then. All right. Well, I did get the degree, but it was a sort of long... T- I did a sandwich course at Nottingham Trent University, mm. and you had to do time out. Actually, this, uh, that comes on to one of the things that I'm going to bring into our... Because I haven't talked about anything yet. <laughs> no, I don't mind. Anyway, so yeah, I, I'd done law, and would I be any good at it? I felt really pleased I'd done law, and the one thing I'm going to throw away, so I'll introduce that to start with, were the... Um, Jury lists. Oh, Lord. And that time, there was no sort of automation. I literally went through the electoral roll with a pencil, turned the page and went, dot. <laughs> that person was rung up by the police and said, you're on jury service. And then I used to get forms and say, I can't possibly do it. And I used to get, okay. And I just turned the page <laughs> and picked somebody else. And it was, well, that was one of my jobs. So was, I, for nine months, I was administrative assistant at Nottingham Crown Court. It was a shire hall. Uh, which is now a museum. I tried to argue when I was called for jury service that I shouldn't be there because I knew what all the technical terms meant and I knew what they were about to do when they sent us out of court. And it would yes. it would bias me, but they took no notice of it at all. I said, no, I understand. When you say I'm going to do this in camera, I know what's going on. I know that basically the defence is saying there's not enough evidence, is there? Well, I realised that um, I had no idea who was telling the truth. <laughs> I mean, at all. I mean, yeah. I, I used to take people out... Once they'd been released off a Crown Court a trial, I used to take them out and they used to go, well, of course I did it. Oh, <laughs> and, I, and I went, oh, right. And then I let them out. That was it. Nothing you can do. At the end of my time at there, I was offered a job as a court clerk. Mm. Uh, who's the person who advises the magistrates normally uh, what they can do. You know, So people say, well, I'm, I'm going to send them down for six years. And I'd have to go, excuse me. You could only say maximum is two months, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Best one of all was, um, I remember a magistrate saying to me, well, if they hadn't done it, they wouldn't be here. Oh, Lord. I mean, some of the things there. It's weird, isn't it? Uh, the system yeah. seems to work, but you wonder why. I mean, my son did jury service, and from the very first day, even though people were not supposed to discuss the case in the jury room until it had finished, they immediately would say, well, it's obviously did it. Look at the look on his wife's face. Yeah. And my son said, which one's his wife? They went, the woman up in the gallery, that's his wife. And he went, how do you know that? They went, well, it's obvious, isn't it? She looks so embarrassed. <laughs> they had, they were based on I nothing. Had, I, I had no idea. Yes, no, I, I could not tell who was telling the truth. And so for me... I was an idealist. I, I recognise that now. And I did these moots, you know, legal moots and things like that, which mm. are sort of mock trials. I just, I had no idea. I didn't know where we were going. I did put a really good quote down somewhere. But, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you are, see, that's the problem with notes. <laughs> yeah, no, you see, but that's, that's, that was it. I've lost it now. But there you go. If you've done law, you realise it, it, it's not about right and wrong. It's about degrees of honesty. Mm-hmm. 
and how much you're going to reveal to the other side. I mean, look at the O.J. Simpson trial. Well, quite, I know. So I don't regret not doing it. I mean, I'd quite like now to be about to retire as a circuit judge with the pension. But I, that means I would have had to do all those hours of sitting there with those robes on and pretending to be serious. I have got a, a friend. She did a law degree with me. And she went on to become a judge. She used to send everybody down. Um, <laughs> but the interesting thing about her, she did it the other way around. She started out as a backing singer for Val Dunigan. No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, You could really put her off, couldn't you, just sitting there whistling Paddy McGinty's goat or something? I know. Well, (laughs) well, I suddenly thought of another one. I used to, in Crown Court, I used to have to, you know, obviously deliver notes occasionally, and there was one note, uh, one one judge who was very keen on cricket, and I had to go and deliver the results at odd times. And I used to go in, but with a note, and hand it to him. Yeah. And they would look at me going, oh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, let me know what happens. No, thank you. But people, obviously, in the room thought it was, you know, new evidence coming in. For a moment there, when you said, when I was doing Crown Court, I thought you meant the television programme. Oh, right. I had done a Crown Court. One of my first jobs. You know, right. As a, as a policeman. I played a lot of policemen. And I've just done another policeman, actually, in Endeavour. Oh. As I, am I allowed to say that? Yes, I am. That's something I'm allowed to talk about because everything is covered by NDAs nowadays. You can't talk about what you're doing. No. So I, I've always admired both of them. They're fantastic actors. They are, to yeah. Work, you know, yeah. Uh, Roger and Sean. They're, just to work with them, you know. Mm. Uh, and I was with Kevin McNally. Ah, so, brilliant. Playing my, yeah. Should I mention an object now? The sort of. Okay, well, let's. Uh, all right, we'll, I, I can keep going because well, my first TV job. Mm. was with uh, Laurence Olivier. Wow. I don't know how I got the job, but I remember once I got my first wage packet, I took a load of friends out. We went to a place on Southampton Row, and I treated them all to a meal. But we rehearsed it at the Old Vic upstairs. It was a buffet lunch, but with waitress service. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, my God, if this is TV, I want more of this. Yeah. Um, and then we shot it up in at Granada. Part of his Playhouse series. Yes. Yeah. And uh, my, he was really kind to me. And he said, Richard, Richard, come over here. Uh, what I'd like you to do every day is tell me three jokes. And <laughs> the dirtier, the better. <laughs> so we used to, I used to, at some point, he called me over and I was standing in the corner and telling my three jokes. Um, Besides, he used to ask me about how I was, what my digs were like and all that sort of thing. And then he said, oh, look at Frank Finley. And I went, oh, why? He said, oh, he'll think we're talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he was, to me, he was really, really kind. Mm. Um, he was very ill at the time, but he he, he still had a wicked sense of humour. Yeah. And one day he said, oh, I, I think I feel very tired. We better shoot my scene first, uh, and then I'm going to have a lie down. So he did this scene. It was an Italian play. He did all these Italian gestures. And then Frank Finley comes out and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? He says, you've taken all my gestures. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do now? And he looked at me, Larry, and he gave me a big wink and said, I, I, I have to go and lie down. <laughs> <laughs> Devil. So that was terrible, yeah. I was working at Granada when those were being filmed, so we may well have passed in the corridor. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was so excited being up there because he was watching Coronation Street. And he said, oh, they're fantastic actors. They are fantastic actors. And he kept wanting to go and see the people wow. in the corridor. Imagine if they'd known. He was such a fan. Incredible. I mean, this is useless information. Yeah, well, it, it is now. But at the time, they could easily have said to him, well, would you like to play a part, a small part? That would be quite something, wouldn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and and uh, Joan was in it as well, that, that thing. Mm. He obviously told her the jokes later. <laughs> <laughs> that worked well then. Yeah. Yes. There we are. So, Richard, it's been jo- lovely to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matron. Okay, uh, let's play the game then. Let's let's see what the five things are you want to put into a time capsule and see where that leads us. Right, five, five things that go into the time capsule. The, the first thing I had was uh, a five-pound note. When I was at school, mm-hmm. suddenly we got this mailing thing through the National Youth Theatre. And nobody from my school had ever been in the National Youth Theatre. And somebody bet me five pounds if I got in. <laughs> so... I think I had to go to Leicester to audition, and I met Michael Croft, and he went, oh, yeah, hello, and what's your modern piece? And I gave him a modern piece. He said, oh, so, so who, did you have any help with these? I said, no, no. He said, so why do you want to join the National Youth Theatre? I said, well, if I get in, I get five pounds. He said, you're in. <laughs> so that, that was it. So I, and then I really, really enjoyed being part of the National Youth Theatre. I, I was with them for about... Five years, mm. even while I was a student, they let me, let me say, and then I did a, I used to run the sort of intermediate improvisation courses because I loved all that sort of theatre. Mm. That gave me my love of ensemble playing, respect for the writer, which doesn't happen a lot. No. In, in some of the, but as we had people like Barry Keefe and that's where I met Tim McInerney, of course, full three, and <laughs> uh, Tim Spall, Kate Buffery. You know, lots of really nice people and talented people. So you suddenly you were, you were nobody. Mm. We did a boxing play, um, Sight of Glory, and uh, Elton John came to see it. And after <laughs> the show, we were all we were all told to stay behind. And just down where, from where we were, we were performing at the Cockpit Theatre. There's the Listen Grove Fish and Chip Shop, mm. and he bought us all fish and chips. Oh, uh, brilliant! So we all thought, Elton John, you are the king. Yeah. So, and he was brilliant. He he was really nice and sort of complimentary and met everybody, yeah. Lovely. I mean, I would have spent the whole evening trying to manufacture an opportunity to get him to ask me about what it feels like to be an actor and to be on stage and everything, just so that I could say, well, it's a little bit funny, this feeling. <laughs> <laughs> You've rehearsed that one. No, no. No, no. <laughs> Who gave you the five-pounder? Just somebody from school? It, it was somebody from school, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was a chap called John Wills. Where were you at school then? I was at school. It was a sort of minor public school called Oakham, which is in the Rutland. Mm. But when I joined, it was a grammar school, and then it became a direct grant, and then it became a public school. So right. I actually had a fantastic time there. Well, there and the National Youth Theatre. I've never spoken to anybody who actually took part in the National Youth Theatre, who doesn't say that it was the most brilliant time, being treated properly, you know, being treated like an actor. Yeah. You weren't kids. No, you were judged, uh, people came to review you on a professional basis. Mm. You know, you had the proper reviewers in. And But I started out with new plays, with Paul Thompson, Barry Keefe, as I said. So it, we didn't just do uh, the Peter Turson plays of Zigazaka, which were all being done at that time as well. Mm. But we did do some sort of strange improvised stuff with a smaller group. And we often were known as the other National Youth Theatre because <laughs> we got such good reviews. So, yeah. What do you think it is then that made you... See, I don't know. You could easily look at your career and sort of go, well, you, you, you've sort of been a classical actor. And yet it's always got that element in it of taking on something that many would see as being a bit risky. Well, I didn't train. That's the first thing. Right. I, I was in the National Youth Theatre... And I did get a, an equity card from them, which I think most rep theatres and some London theatres had two cards to give away a year. Mm. So I got a job as an acting ASM, 
which is assistant stage manager, and you walked on and said odd lines mm. in Romeo and Juliet. So I, I thought, oh, blimey, I've got a card here. What do I do? And I think even some, some people, because Richard Hope isn't my real name. It's Richard Hope Walker. So I've got Hope as a Christian name. And I was always, people used to tease me when I was younger, why have you got Hope in your name? Oh. And I think it was, um, I have a thing, it might have been Tim or Clive Mantle, who helped me choose a name. I had about half an hour to choose a name for equity. Yeah. And I went from there, really. I did little jobs like Crown Court. And I thought, oh, I better go and do some training. And they had a Saturday class at Lambeth College. And it used to be done on a Saturday morning. And it used to be Jack Shepherd, Richard Wilson, Paul Thompson, and Ken Campbell. Fantastic. And they used to alternate it so every month. Mm. So Richard Wilson did lots of... Can you sit a bit stiller, please, Richard? That would be more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so the class got smaller and smaller. So we got sort of individual attention sort of four hours, and then it sort of developed into the whole Saturday. Is that how you met up with Ken as well? Yeah, yes. I met up with Ken Campbell, and he said, um, do you want to uh, be at one of my shows? Because um, meet at 7 o'clock, and I went up to the New End Theatre, and he said, I'll, I'll run through it with you. Anyway, 7.30 came... And I heard this announcement go out over the tannoy. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight the part of Jesus will be played by Richard Hope as Dave Hill has got a better job. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I I don't even know where I come on from. And I turned, the Jim Broadbent was in it and Neil Cunningham. And I said, so what what do I do? He said, well, there's the wig and the loincloth. Put them on (laughs) and you're you're on in a minute. (laughs) And I I remember going on and and, uh, Neil Cunningham looked at me and shook his head and went, <clears throat> so I went round the back and I started to come on the other side. And he said to Jim, I think I've just seen our Lord by the woodpile. <laughs> and I thought, where on earth is this in the script? And Jim went, oh, have you? Anyway, so the end of the day, that was my meeting with Ken. And the second night, about half an hour in, all the lights went out and I carried on. And this voice from the back came saying, just testing. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and then he decided the plague was too boring. And he said, oh, I'm going to get two new people in it. Richard, come and meet Heidi and Lucille tomorrow. They're going to join the cast. So uh, I turned up again at seven to meet Heidi and Lucille because they were going to help me with moves and some, some other furniture and stuff. Two pigs, two live pigs. <laughs> and I, I said, Ken, he said, nah, hello, these are Heidi and Lucille. <laughs> Feed them half an hour before the show or change the time because about half an hour later, they will urinate. <laughs> and he said, don't get a bigger laugh than any of you. <laughs> so so that, was, that was it. And anyway, I did work with Ken quite a lot. What an extraordinary did, man. What he brought out in me was the dare of performance. Mm. And that's what I love and that's what I'm still trying to do. Mm. And I, so I've got him always on one shoulder going, Go on, Richard, go for it. <laughs> and I've got Richard Eyre on the other shoulder going, no, no, no. But he also admired Ken. So that was it. But I, I mean, I, like I said, I did the warp with him, which was a 24 hour epic. Extraordinary. And I, 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 at the time, I was doing a kids' show at the Arts Theatre. So I said, look, I can't be in the afternoon shows because I have to go off and do. Oh, no, that's all right. He said, so, and then he said, oh, you could be at the end. I said, well, so what's the end? He said, Oh, you just have to do a whirling dervish and imitate a few people who've been in the other plays. I said, I've, de- I've just done the first six plays. And he said, no, it won't matter. You'll be fine. Here's the script. I said, what's a whirling dervish? I don't know. You're the actor. Make it up. And I said, so what voices? Any voices. They won't remember at that point. <laughs> 
It's so, extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? I went on for about a minute once in the warp when he was at the Edinburgh Festival. I'd met him in a bar, I think, and he said, "Oh, yeah, come and be in here." And I went, "What?" He, was, he would do that to anybody, wouldn't he? Just yes. come and be in it. Well, and if people didn't turn up, he said, "Oh, uh, tonight." Um, Paul won't be turning up. My Latin teacher's doing it. He's learnt the blinds. He'll be coming on instead. I had no lines at all. He just said, go on there and surprise them. Well, that's what he... I, he loved the danger. I mean, I did um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he, suddenly, there was David Rappaport on the <laughs> stage. And it, I said, ah. Oh. He said, so what's it like acting with a dwarf? And I went, ah, oh, And I made up something about some planet. Because <laughs> I, I was playing Ford Prefect. And how soon after the radio shows was that then? Uh, we had the radio scripts mm. and Chris Langham adapted them. So he played Arthur Dent and I played Ford Prefect. And he, Ken said, no, said, Richard, your, your note would be, uh, when anybody looks away, go to bite their neck. And when they look back, do your smile. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. And, of course, it went really well. I mean, but he was sort of, um, we blew up the um, lobby, we gave everybody an alcoholic drink, and then put them all on a sort of hovercraft, the audience. We were sold out before we opened. Oh, yeah. Uh, and imagine. it all went on security. No no pay, Richard, just your evening meal. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the best one of all was he said, now, you weren't with me for a while now, you can help me do these auditions. And he said, so when people come in, just count how many times they stand up and sit down. And how well they used these false teeth. And he produced some false teeth and put them on the table. So then the first person would come in, or, you know, they say, hello. So he said, which one do you want to do first, your Shakespeare or your modern? They'd say Shakespeare. So they'd start off, be about a second into it. And he'd go, oh, do you want to sit down? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what? Do you want to sit down doing it or do you want to stand up? Oh, I'll, I'll do it sitting down. So I said, all right, and then Ken would ease these teeth towards them. And with, they used these teeth. And then somebody came in so nervous, they stood up and sat down the whole time. And as they went out the door, Ken turned to me and said, well, they, they got the part, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> so all rules went out the window with Ken. Yeah. So I spent the rest of my time trying to sit on that and be taken seriously because people didn't take you seriously if you'd work with Ken either. No, I can imagine. They thought you were just going to mess around. In fact, that you're not going to do what's required of you. Yes. And because I had smiled and I was always sent out at school for smiling, cast director said, could you please not smile at auditions? <laughs> <laughs> but then I suppose that would be a sign of levity? Yes. I mean, I, I went up for a enjoy Alan Bennett's play. Mm. I got down to the final two and I thought, I'm going to make sure I don't smile here. But the condition was you had to turn up with a blouse and a skirt because the character I was up for <laughs> was true. And I was against a, an actor called Philip Sayer, who turned up with his own twin piece <laughs> skirt and cut jacket. I thought, I've got no no hope here. Uh. And I, as I started, I knew I'd done the best reading because Alan said, no, it was really good, Richard, yes, yes. Uh, and then uh, as I started by a bit, I heard this <laughs> snigger from the auditorium. It was Ronald Ayer and him who said, Oh, Richard, you, you look like Margaret Rutherford in drag. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that part, but I did History Boys for Alan. Mm. Uh, and I do see him quite often. And we have a cup of tea and I, I tell him all the jokes I told Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, so there we are. So that's the first thing then. Yeah, the first thing was, yeah, the first thing was 
The five-pound note. The five-pound note, yes. I'm going to resist saying that it was a white one. <laughs> yeah, was, if paper, at least. You know, yes. <laughs> yes, quite. The one thing I'm going to throw away mm. were the um, jury lists. Mm. Jury lists have done. I drifted into my third one, which was my Don't Panic badge, which was from Hitchhiker's Guide. I, I did want to talk about that with mm. Ken. Was Douglas around when you were doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He sort of said, just do what you want with the radio scripts. And make a show. Fantastic. I mean, it was mad, completely mad. And we used to fly people across the auditorium, but we put a harness, rather than under our clothes, we put it on the outside <laughs> and then did it with pulleys from yeah. the side of the building above the audience. And we'd say, is there anything there? <laughs> it was fantastic. I went to a party where Douglas was telling everybody he was off to Hollywood to write the film for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he showed us, he said, look at this. And he opened his wallet and all these credit cards fell out in a great big ream. And he went, look, they sent me all these. It's going to be brilliant. And we said, how are you going for it? He said, I don't think I'll ever come back. And about a month later, I was at another party and Douglas was there. And I said, hello, I th thought you were in Hollywood. He said, no, no. I was in a room and they called me in and they said they really liked the latest version of the script, but they couldn't understand why the meaning of life was just a number. 42. Yeah. Shouldn't it be something more momentous than that, they said? Oh, God. He said, I took all the credit cards out, put them on the table and said, thank you very much and went to the airport. God. I mean, I just love all that sort of the science fiction area mm. of, of everything because, and Douglas was sort of personified that. Ken used to edit the 14 times. And for the warp, I remember meeting people who'd been abducted by aliens and had sex in the sky. And, I, and I, it's quite interesting when you meet these people, and Ken, they're so plausible. I'm so gull... I've got mug written across here. <laughs> because I'm always conned by all these things. I never knew if Ken was telling me the truth or it was a complete piece of theatre. I always try and there's a bit of that magic in whatever I do now, really. Just that energy and, and danger. So not worrying if it is enigmatic. Yes, quite. And then it is, strangely. Yes, so anyway, for the Hitchhiker's Guide, we'd all, we all got these don't panic badges. Mm -hmm. And that, that was a thing that I'd like to put in the capsule that sort of... Oh, yeah. Um, just that time was very, very good. I had a fantastic time, though. I mean, going back to the school, uh, I was head boy. Right. And you think, how were you head boy? But they introduced... We had a really good uh, headmaster check with John Buchanan. And he said, OK, everybody who's doing uh, A-levels or whatever, you can elect... Your, your team at the top. Of course, everybody put their names forward. I put my name forward thinking that was good. Anyway, I got elected <laughs> and the staff were furious because I got rid of loads of rules. It's very funny, Richard. You always talk about things as if, um, oh, and then this extraordinary accidental thing happened and I just happened to be there at the time. And you always talk about things as if you sort of fell into it accidentally and, and it's nothing to do with the fact that you're any good. But if I ever mention your name to any other actor, they will say, oh, Richard's good, isn't he? <laughs> Well, that's kind. Not kind. That was the one thing that Olivier did give me. He said, so I said, I don't know, how cheeky me. I said at the end, so Larry, so have you got any tips for me? Because I I, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, really. Mm. Uh, and he said, Richard, for you, make sure you work with good people and don't pick up bad habits. Even if it's a small part, work with good people. Mm. And I've sort of, I've held on to that. So I don't mind doing it, but I just really count. I don't really worry about the number of lines on a thing or if it fits in. And I've got a very good agent who manages to juggle things. Mm. And it's an interesting project. I'll do it. Yeah. And often because of the people who are working on it. Normally because, yeah, because they mm. say, oh, and I'm going, oh, I really like working with them. Mm. Um, I had a little bit in Gentleman Jack, 
And I love Sally Wainwright. And uh, I'd worked with Saran Jones. And everybody thinks, oh, she's a fantastic TV actor. But I did Orlando with her. Really? Manchester, yeah. And Saran, she was brilliant. Mm. And I got on really well with her. And then to actually then do a bit, little bit in Gentleman Jack, playing a Yorkshire person, <laughs> uh, was rather nice. And I'd done that with Brian Glover. I worked with him, doing Much Ado About Nothing on The National. I was playing All The Watch. He was playing Dogbury. Mm. And one matinee, he just said, well, if I don't get a laugh on the next line, I'm off. <laughs> so and I, and he went, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, nobody laughed. And he said very loudly, well, I'm off. <laughs> and he left me there. And all I could do was yell to him, well, you can't leave me now. <laughs> and I looked at the lighting box, and they were doing this huge gesticulation saying, carry on, carry on. He cut four pages. You know, and it was all on computer, the lighting. So they had to whip through the lighting cues yeah. as I wandered around the stage. And they still had finished. And then I looked with my lantern, you know, doing my watch acting. I sat at the front of the stage and then looked in my pockets and pretended to eat a sandwich. I, <laughs> I was completely corpse. I couldn't do anything. I am completely gone. But no, that's a wonderful thing, the fact that in that situation, all you could do was laugh at it. I mean, and in fact, that's what we should do, I think, rather than, yeah, rather than yeah. panic or, or think, oh, no, I'm letting everybody down. The wonder of it, the wonder of those moments... Yeah, are so great. They're so important in your career, I think, because the thing you learn from that is, well, but things were okay. It was all right. Yeah. Going back to Pravda, Tony Hopkins, he never corpsed. And he was always on the money, always 10 out of 10 every day. People have paid for the tickets. On we go. He didn't like people pausing, etc., etc. And there's a section in it where I did some sort of kung fu acting at him and he'd do it back. And then one day, a lady in the front row mimicked what I'd just done to him as well. And he started laughing. <laughs> and uh, neither of us could believe it. And, you know, and we carried on. But then came the curtain call. We did our bows. And then we both went to this lady. And she got a huge round. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. That's the only time he went. Yes. You know, so I have to concentrate doubly not to laugh. Yes, well, you've got an impish sense of humour. I know that from having worked with you. I'm always, I'm always concentrating. So, like at the National, that's when I met um, Helen Edmondson, and I really loved doing her stuff. Which is where we worked together. We worked together. Yes, on we worked play. together on that. And that, so, I'd worked with her before on um, War and Peace, which we did in the Cottesloe then. Mm. And after that, we did. I played Levin in Anna Karenina. So the other side of me is identifying fully with the emotional core of Tolstoy's writing. Right. And working with people on, I mean, actors, it's a, they're very generous with their love. And I try and be as generous and open back. You have to trust people instantly uh, and bond instantly with people. Mm -hmm. And Helen was so good. She sort of cuts out all the dross of what happens before or what happens after. She just gives you the scene, the moment that you're either going to marry them or kill them. It's so fantastic. That. So I've always liked working with her. She's got a great sense of humour as well, I think. She looks as if she's going to take everything very seriously, yes. but she has a little wry smile. She is a naughty, naughty giggler. But I love working with her, you know, sort yeah. of, because you, you do, it's like, as you know, you develop a shorthand with people and they don't have to direct you as much, like, could do better. I remember going and seeing Helen and, and saying, there's a lyric here, because I had to sing some of the songs in the show. Oh, right. There's a lyric here, I said, I, I think it could be funnier. And she went, do you, Michael? And I said... <laughs> I do, 
And she said, and you're going to tell me how that's going to happen, aren't you? And I said, well, I, I've got a suggestion. And so I told her what the change would be. And she went, very interesting, very interesting. You see, I spent about five years writing this play. So I've sort of thought of every possible line there is. And I went, ah, right, okay, no, fair enough. And she went, but I hadn't thought of that one and it's good. <laughs> it's very good, isn't it? It's, it's really it's marvellous like, that she did that. Yes. I mean, I think, I mean, when I took over in Pravda with David Hare, he wanted epic acting and he, he was always nervous about whether or not you can reach there. So often I was sort of the runner-up for people mm. until you hit what, and then you could make it your own, you know, and that's what, what happens. I think yeah. uh, people suddenly go, oh, yeah, they, they can act. They can yeah. make it their own. Because I just want—I didn't want to just be an actor. I wanted to be a good actor, and Helen's writing is so, so precise, and yet always gives you the opportunity for those moments, doesn't it? Yes. Almost every character in her plays has something that's worth going on stage to do. Yeah, they all have an an emotional core as well. Mm -hmm. So, which not many writers manage to feed in, and normally that's just left to the actor to find somewhere else. Yeah, I'd love to do more with Helen. A small island that she's done. Fantastic, fantastic right. work. Yeah, I bet. No. And what have we done? We've done the five-pound note. The five-pound note and the Don't Panic badge. Don't Panic. And we did the jury list. Yes, the jury list. Which was, which was um, get rid of those. It seems a shame to interrupt this chat, but until we start an ad-free Patreon subscription, and Lord knows how you do that, there are going to be ads. Still, we'll be back in no time. Cheers. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back. Okay, let's hasten back to the lovely Richard Hope and discover what else he wants to put in his time capsule. Oh, right. I know what I wanted to do then. And actually, one of the most important things of my life, mm. I've got two children. We adopted. And I'd like to put in the adoption certificates. It took us four years to adopt, having done about eight years for IVF. And everybody wants to be a parent or whatever. And then we suddenly found ourselves... And we had a daughter, we had to do the training and all that sort of thing that everybody goes through. And then for our son, two years later, they rang us up, social services, and said, oh, do you want 
her brother. We, went, we didn't know that she had a brother. And then so we said, oh, all right, this was on a Friday. Mm. They said, could you take him on Monday? And we went, oh, yeah. And I, and I remember him being on our front doorstep with no toys, no change of clothes, uh, no bag of bits or anything, just him and a foster carer. Uh, and then she said, here you are. And we said, aren't we doing a changeover like we did with our first, you know, like you'd spend half an hour in the park, get to know them, they get to know you. No, no, you've already got. And uh, our daughter said, can't you send him home? <laughs> and then it took us four years, four more years, but we did have the help of the council and we eventually ended up at the high court because the birth mother, we were going to be these people who were going to have all open adoption and everything and share everything. Mm. She made it very difficult. And uh, she was, um, yeah, it's a long story. And both kids come with a lot of baggage. How old was she? They were both one One. at the time. Poor little mites. Yeah. Um, We we were very lucky with godparents. People have helped us out. Mm. And they still do a lot to help. But the baggage that they come with, and you think, I I was worried that, would I bond? I don't, you know, these people. But anyway, for me, that was over within 30 seconds. Hmm. You know, suddenly I felt like a parent, but, and, and you know, so for the first child, for our daughter, everything was rosy for about two months. She did everything that we wanted to do because she was just so glad to be with people who were caring and not that all her life before then had been terrible, but because you're then suddenly given a fresh start, you don't realise how many fresh starts they've had. Hmm. It's like we couldn't take her to birthday parties we had to stay till she was about nine because she thought we wouldn't come back and pick her up. Oh, Lord, yeah. So we had little issues like that. Mm. Um, little issues. Although they were, I reckon, love about them. <laughs> they, they are now sort of one's 30, one's 28, and they're fantastic. Um, and it's your um, daughter who's 28? She's 30. She's 30. She's a teacher, yeah. And yeah. my son, he, did, he went to London College of Fashion. So, so, so she was three when... She was three when he arrived, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so, so she didn't know him as a brother then. No, we, no? we didn't know. We didn't know there was a child on the Friday before. I think we'd we'd said on the Saturday or Sunday we're going to get your brother, and she was going what mm. what suddenly having to share a bedroom, all that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So we then had to have you know second bedroom. You know, so it was tricky. Mm-hmm. But it's it is all that baggage. So I can't thank enough the NHS. They featured in my life quite heavily the education services and the health service. And it's, I just wish more people uh, and governments could have a holistic approach to adoption and adopted children hmm. because they've had quite a struggle before they've arrived. And you don't think they've got a memory. But let's say like my daughter, she, she, was, um, she had a fear of dogs. She's only just got over. I, we kept thinking, why is she worried about dogs? It's because she was strapped into a... Um, pushchair with a carer who had a huge alsatian and it kept knocking the pushchair over and she couldn't go anywhere so she had to stay on the ground all sort of harnessed in still Mm. and that memory from about six months old yeah has haunted her all her life and she'd have no idea why no no or you know it's just we were just chatting about it and then sort of eventually yeah she understood. She's fine now with dogs, but it's extraordinary, isn't it? You know, when you when you're out in out picnic in a park, 
I mean, everything becomes a nightmare in those situations. <laughs> yeah, quite. And you, you have to say to him, could you keep the dog away? Mm. It's a park. You know, I'm like, uh, all that sort of I know. Yeah. And, and some, some dog owners are not very uh, accommodating yeah, yeah. in that area. You know, no, no. Could, you know. Uh, yes, I've I once had somebody a dog chase after my children when they were very small. I said, "Can you put your dog on a lead, please?" And they said, "Well, can you stop your children running around?" <laughs> so, yeah, I, mean, I know that's that's, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, mad. The truth yeah. is, of course, that as with all families, there are ups and downs, and there are difficulties. Nothing ever runs smoothly, and everybody has periods of their life where it's very difficult. But to take that on and to take on, like you say, the extra baggage of that, where, in fact, there are things that you had no control over. It's nothing to do with you, and yet no. you're the one that has to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, we could have gone on a lot of holidays, <laughs> which you're paying for children. Yeah. <laughs> I do say that to them now. Mm. You know, we missed out on a lot of holidays because of you. And they <laughs> laugh, but it's true. Yeah. So, and also, we'll say, when they were very young, it was very difficult having a family, I'm sure, with you, sort of. You, you sort of left your family outside the rehearsal room. Yeah. Um, it was only complicity that said, oh, bring them in. No, I've turned down jobs because my son um, dropped out of school when he was 12. And so that whole four-year period where we were teaching him at home, it meant that I, I just couldn't do those jobs where I was going to go away. Theatre became very difficult because you can't. The, the matinees were the things. They got in the way always. Yeah. I mean, talking about matinees, that's one of the things that I've noticed sort of when I started out, the more experienced actor would say, oh, hold back on the matinee because you've got two shows today. Mm. Tony Hopkins, what? <laughs> what? He gave full on every show. He invested 100% of himself. Mm. And some actors, I know, they'll be there for the first week and then they get bored and they'll be giving a performance. I'm embarrassed to be on stage with uh, them. Yeah. So I mm. thought, I never want to be in that group. So that's why I've been attracted by Complicité. I did a stint with a French company, Le Grand Magic Circus, Speaking in French, I don't know how I managed to do that. Um, anything European, I'm really keen on. And it's been quite sad witnessing Brexit um, because it's, it's really hard to get into Europe and just all the paperwork people have to yeah. do. But I did manage last year to do a thing called 1899. It hasn't come out yet. Fantastic director, Beau Baradour in it. And the sort of thing that, you know, you had your lines and that sort of thing. I'm just playing a doctor in it. And I'd never met him before. He said, you're at this table on a, on a liner. Um you're having breakfast, somebody comes in and asks for a doctor, you just look up, but you ignore them, carry on eating breakfast. And he said, oh, and improvise with the people around the table. <laughs> and then he, his last party word was, let's see what you can do. Action. <laughs> no pressure then. 11 minutes later, he said, cut. Oh, my God. But he'd, I'd, I'd, I'd eaten the whole breakfast. I'd, he'd sent in sardines. <laughs> Another breakfast, and I talked to people. I said, so how was your deck chair? <laughs> but I did manage to keep it going. And then eventually I got this huge cake came in, <laughs> and I started to cut it, and that's when he said cut. And he said, the cake is rubber. <laughs> but, and then uh, the crew were very generous, and he said, um, he said, I see that you weren't going to stop, and I wasn't going to let them stop. So he got all the crew sending in food and waiters, and he filmed it all. Brilliant. I really would love to work with him again. Um, just a fantastic thing to do. But you see, not once, I think, in your career would you be making a decision. You base your decisions on who are the people I'll be working with. Is this interesting work? Would it allow me to expand my acting abilities? The last thing you seem to ask yourself is how much are they going to pay me? And now I've got a good agent for that. But I, <laughs> I, I, often, I often do things. I'm doing a thing at the moment where she said, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But do you still want to do it? Do you like it? 
Uh, and I've said yes. Yeah, um, no, I often have that conversation with my agent where I say, yeah, look, I'm really sorry, but I want to do it. Yeah. And they go, oh, okay. And I've also had the conversation where I've said, I know, I know, I know how much they're offering, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. So if I'm having to put bread on the table, which I did mm-hmm. sometimes with the kids, um, I would do some jobs just because it, I had to do something. Yeah. And, and that's how it works. Well, I suppose we're lucky that, in fact, we've had the choice occasionally. Yeah. So, yes, I'm a jobbing character actor, really. <laughs> <laughs> so the jury list is the thing you're getting rid of. Yeah. And we're keeping five pounds, don't panic, Badge, and the adoption papers. Yeah. So we've got one more thing you want to keep. Right. When I was doing French Lieutenant's Woman, playing the third assistant, so all my <laughs> scenes were between Jeremy and Meryl. And I'd worked with Jeremy before in Brideshead. And when I was on that, I was very lucky to get on that one. That's another story, because I played two parts in Brideshead, Revisited. Because when I went up for it originally, it was um, Michael Lindsay Hogg directing it. And they said, so what part would you like to play? And I said, oh, Hooper, my fantastic partner. And they all laughed. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 no. You could be a student, a student at Oxford. So I did this filming of being a student at Oxford. And then there was this strike, and I got this phone call. They said, um do you still want to play Hooper? <laughs> I said, what? They said, we can cut all but 20 seconds of you out of the first version <laughs> because we can't go back on that location and you can play Hooper. So I was over the moon. So I do play two parts in <laughs> Brian's Head Revisit. So anyway, so then I went on with Jeremy to French and I, there were lots of scenes that obviously were cut, but I loved working with uh, Meryl and Jeremy obviously from before mm. but when we were there we had odd days off and there's that jurassic cliff and uh, there was a storm a huge storm one night like there is on the cob in the film and after it i went out with a friend and i saw the stone sticking out of the cliff and i thought oh anyway it was a huge ammonite about 12 inches across wow and i've treasured that ever since Mm. And that sort of revived my interest in paleontology. <laughs> and I had a, I, at school, I had a fantastic geography teacher who got me into do geology. And we used to go on field trips and all those sort of things. It was an amazing, amazing time. So I, I'd always want to hold on to the Ammonites. Yeah. And that leads me into being on the planet. So those are about 200 million years old, mm-hmm. th- those fossils. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, we're here for such a short time. Why are we here? And then I'm going into what is the meaning of life? And then I'm going back to all those rehearsals of um, War and Peace and playing Pierre and going, what is the meaning of life? And Pierre, he still carries on searching. And and I think I'm still searching what is the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I welcome the love of my kids and my family. And I really like the warmth from other actors and people that trust you just be you and that's something I I want to hold on to brilliant I was having that discussion with my grandson just yesterday all right I was was trying to explain these photographs that they've just taken of 4.9 billion years ago of galaxies yeah fantastic astonishing yeah I was trying to talk about the scale of it and the size of it and how long it goes on for and therefore how you could feel really, really unimportant. Yeah. But we are possibly the first creatures in all of that time, in all of those places, who understands what's happened. Yeah. So we have this amazing gift 
of not only life but sentience, which is a yes. which is incredible. Yeah. And that thing yeah. of sharing that with people, sharing our lives with people, finding people we love, falling in love, meeting friends, having good times, laughing, all those things. Yeah. It's an extraordinary gift. Well, for me, it's it's full circle because I know one of the reasons I joined the youth theatre was to meet girls. <laughs> and I'm just a sucker for falling in love. Huh. And I've been very lucky with some of the people I've worked with and just sharing that energy. And, and that's the core of your being. Mm. And part of your soul passes on to them. But to be able to hold on to that would be rather special. Wouldn't it just? Yeah. Thank you very much for doing this. It's been lovely. Thank you. I hope you can remember what I've chosen. (laughs) (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Richard Hope. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you know the bit that I say next in this podcast and you can just skim through it. Or I could do it for you. You can subscribe. Don't forget to rate and we'd be very grateful. My time capsule on Twitter. Happy to chat to Ed. Theme music on Spotify. Masterpiece of production produced by John Fenton's. There you go. Easy. Actually, I might put out a whole episode like that. Like one of those charts that shows which are the important words in any conversation, depending on how big they are, but in audio form. You know, I just shout the words used the most. That'll be fun, won't it? Oh, okay. I'll stick to the normal format. You're so risk adverse. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.